where there is a sign there that just says, beware of the dog, you stop right away, you look around and wonder, should I go in there? Amen? <laughs> well, whatever, it sensitizes you, but I want you to imagine walking up to a house and see a sign that says, beware of the wolf. Now, just suppose, rather than having a dog in the yard, there's a wolf in the yard. I think you'd do a double take if there's a wolf. Tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ says he loves his sheep. He loves each and every person that comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he is so concerned, and we're going to talk about that this evening, that Christ has such a tremendous love that he gives us a warning. And not just one, but many warnings. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is so concerned with false doctrine and proud religion coming into the church. He wants people to beware. He gives ample warning of these pernicious teachers. Christian, we cannot be haphazard to listen to preachers and teachers without studying, looking at their doctrine. If we do this and we begin to listen to all these various things and we don't look at their doctrine, we are playing spiritual Russian roulette. Because we are liable to following in their steps in a path of destruction. And if you don't know Christ and you listen to these individuals who have a, as I would say, an unbiblical doctrine then you're liable to never receive Christ. Is it that important that we be settled on truth? Our, Jesus, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, if you found your place, there is a Bible in the pew. You're, feel free to use that while you're here, uh, if you'd like to, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, <clears throat> verse 15, beware of false prophets, which, love, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Every, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast to the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he, excuse me, that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from ye that work iniquity. Is it that important when someday you stand before God and he says, I never knew you? Those are the most devastating words you'll ever hear in your entire life. I never knew you. Because in this very moment, if God says, I never knew you, there you'll have people that'll abandon you. You'll have people that'll say, get away from me. But to have our very God say, I never knew you, those are the most horrific words anyone will ever hear. We may be able to get away with it for a while, but 
after a while of evil communications, you will be deceived and corrupt good manners. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 1 Corinthians 15.33 The message we receive helps us to determine truth in the direction we're going. But if the message I'm receiving, I'm doing nothing with it, or the message I'm receiving is inaccurate, the direction I'm going is going to be in error. Captain Smith was the captain of the Titanic. He received a message, a radio message, when the Titanic was on its maiden voyage. And that radio message said they were entering into iceberg-laden waters. According to the account I read, Captain Smith took that message written on a piece of paper, crumpled it, shoved it into his pocket, and the Titanic went sailing on. When it sank, 1,490 people went to a watery grave in the icy North Atlantic. That's the amount of people that were at last night's hockey game in town. 1496. But essentially, every person that was at the hockey game last night would have perished and gone to hell. I want you to think about it. The message we received, is it that important? Friend, we, God says, <clears throat> beware of false prophets. They are proud, they come in meek and humble, but they're seeking to get a following and they will not follow the word of God. They will seek to lure the sheep away from the truth so they can devour them. You see, Satan does use persecution, but the most frequent tactic is to get people away from truth or sound doctrine, and the end result is personal disaster. These issues of false prophet are not suspect to culture or time. They, they're all over. I was talking to someone uh, that's, they, they don't live in the area, but I was talking to them one time, and they were believing this particular doctrinal truth that God chooses people for salvation. And they said, I have a hard... They were down this course of thinking for a while, and they said, I have a hard time thinking that God has already condemned my son to the eternal fires of hell. And this so disturbed this person for over a year. Disturbed them. I mean, it, it just wreaked havoc on the faith. They just, they just like, I can't conceive of a God that would create people to send them to, to automatically send them to hell with no chance of a choice. Because that is a false doctrine. God allows you get to choose. Whether you accept Christ or not, that's your choice. God doesn't pick. And this particular individual was so upset. It was several years ago I had the conversation with this person. But there are universal biblical truths that people must listen to or we face catastrophic consequences. You see, the Lord Jesus and his holy word, they, they do not leave us to determine the qualifications for the office of a pastor a priest, or an apostle to our own prerequisites. He gives us clear indicators. As I mentioned in the, here in the morning service about, you know, the, the, <laughs> except the Lord build the house and, and, you know, with wisdom, a house is built, through wisdom is a house built there in Proverbs 24. God is very orderly and structured. When he gives a particular office, he gives qualifications. Many times. He has given us clear indicators. 
When the Lord works, it is always structured, orderly, and in line with his character of holiness. Now, we have looked at this. We had looked at it over the last few weeks of the idea of false prophets and holiness, but there is a demand for qualification. But I want us to look at several things because you might say, well, pastor, you're majoring on this because Jesus does. And it's not just one time does Jesus talk about it. It's multiple times he talks about it. Because he realizes there is real danger. When you are raising your kids, you're raising them with an understanding that we are in a world that is dangerous. We talk to our daughter, our our young daughter, about strangers. Don't go with strangers. Even if there's someone you know, don't go with them unless you have mommy and daddy's permission. Because I would hate if someone violated my daughter to be in prison. You're going to be six feet under if you hurt my daughter. You know, I'm just saying, like, I want my daughter to be safe. And God loves every one of us. And he wants us to be safe. He cares for our souls. He cares for our joy and our peace and our rest. He wants to be the shepherd. If somebody else wants to stand in that place, Jesus says, beware. I'm telling you, our Savior loves us so much. This is something over and over and over again in the Scriptures seen emphasized. There are dangers under the realm of quote-unquote professing Christianity that are professing Christians, but they are not possessing Christians. They don't possess Christ. Let's open up in a word of prayer and we'll look further at this. But our Lord loves you with an everlasting love. And he made us, and he's got a plan for us. And I'm telling you, he, if there's anyone that cares for you more, the most, it's him, Christ Jesus. Because if you're his child, he bought you with his own blood and his resurrection. You are that important. And he's not going to let you just go into the world without warnings. Because you're Peace and joy and relationship to Him is that important. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love You. Lord, I thank You for this evening. And Father, I thank You for being our gracious Redeemer. And Our Lord, I, I just pray for tonight. I pray, Lord, that You would draw us closer to Thee. I pray, Father, if there's anyone that's not saved tonight, God, that they'd accept Christ. Lord Jesus, I submit this evening into thy hands. You take over. I need your help. Lord, I'm just your servant with a great privilege to preach your holy word. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd encourage our hearts tonight of what a wonderful God we have, loving Savior, that you would warn us And again, Lord, 
We're no better than anyone else, but you realize and you've loved us enough to give us a warning that there are dangers that will pull us out of the will of God and get us down a path outside of your will, only to grieve the Spirit of God and create greater hardship. And so, our Father, I yield tonight to thee. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. I'd like you to look with me at Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23 this evening. There's a position of attention. And Jeremiah, he was a prophet. And obviously the Lord had called him from the womb. And there was a battle going on in Jeremiah's days. There was a battle of what is truth. Ever heard of misinformation? <laughs> it's been in the news quite a bit, right? Particularly during the COVID era, there was a lot of misinformation. Well, And who was the one to determine if it's truth? I'm not going either side on that argument. I'm just saying there's a tr there was a statement of misinformation. But what I am, but and this is what Jeremiah dealt with, misinformation in his days. In verse 9, he says, Mine heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. For the land is full of adulterers for because of swearing the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up and their course is evil and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Jeremiah is absolutely broken because of the apostasy. This is completely false truths that are given in God's name without God's stamp of approval. Jeremiah, Jeremiah would record his heart was broken over the false prophets who proliferated or continued to teach in the land. It would be like the liberal clergy of the day uttering everything but truth. Jeremiah used the analogy of a drunken man who shuddered and confounded his... I mean, he was so broken up, so concerned for the people of his land. Though they didn't want to listen to him, they wanted to get rid of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, keep your mouth shut or else we're going to do you in. He said, I can't, keep I can't keep my mouth shut because God's given me the words to speak. I've got to speak. But the holiness of the land was defiled. Jeremiah knew his nation was riddled with adulterers. And their strength is not. As you think on these, or it says, and their force is not, in verse 10, right? And their force is not. Because of the misinformation of prophets and priests, the people lose the power of God. They lose strength for life. Truth 
determines whether God's hand is on your life or not. And what these prophets and priests are saying is, God's going to spare us. God's going to get us out of the... the, Babylon's not going to attack us once Babylon attacks us. Oh, we'll only be in the land for two years. Jeremiah said, you're going to be in the land 70 years. There was such wickedness found in the temple there in Jerusalem. They had idols and abominations in the temple. Jeremiah, I mean, it's like the liberal clergy, but he says they're profane. You see, anything that deviates from the word of God is an error. Would you look with me at the book of 2 John? There's only one chapter, 2 John verses 9 and 10. Who would, you, how would, who would like to be Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? God says, I don't want you to marry. Uh, I want you to preach to the people, but by the way, Jeremiah, no one's ever going to listen to you. You'll never, have anyone, you'll never have anyone listen to you. Who's going to sign up for that job? You're going to be a complete failure before the eyes of everyone for your entirety of your life. Because God gave a witness in the land that there would still be truth. He still wanted his people to hear the truth. They rejected it. That was their choice. In verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth, right? Like trespass, transgresseth, and abideth not in, what does it say? The doctrine of Christ. There's a singularity there. The, singular. Hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ. He hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not, what does he say? This doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. And you will see this all throughout, this idea, all throughout Scripture. Jeremiah said they're all liars. Well, no wonder why they wanted to murder him. He's telling them, you're liars. This isn't God's word. I don't know about you. If somebody starts calling you a liar, you're not, first thing is, oh, thank you. (laughs) That's quite a a compliment. If someone calls you a liar, you're thinking, what in the world? (laughs) You know, you're, you're actually test, you know, of my own character. But the danger is real. Here's some famous last words. I can beat it, right? I wonder if the gun is loaded. I'll look down the barrel and see. Look at this wire hanging down in the street. I'll throw it, I'll throw it to one side. I wonder how much electricity these wires carry. I'll touch this one and see. I wonder whether this rope will hold my weight. Listen, that's the train whistle. Step on the gas. We'll beat it across. The firecracker must have gone out. I'll light it again. Watch me skate past the danger sign. I bet I can, I can touch it. Oh, here's the last one. It's no fun swimming here. I'm going out beyond the lifelines. And over and over again, Christians venture and people venture into areas beyond the Word of God. 
Do you realize that the puffer fish looks about as threatening as a gold, pet goldfish? But it carries deadly toxins that can kill a person after just a few bites of puffer sashimi. If you're not familiar with sushi terminology, sashimi is just a, a small piece of raw fish. I love sashimi. It's good stuff. But every year, several people in Japan die from eating this unique fish delicacy, and many others get sick. The danger is so great that Japanese chefs must receive years of training to learn the intricate skills of removing the lethal toxin before they can be certified to serve puffer. Flirting with sin is not only foolish, it can be fatal. The truth is a false prophet or dangerous teaching is not just those who deny the deity of Christ or believe in evolution. It is those who are closer to the truth, but still different from foundational doctrines or teaching. Doctrine is teachings. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 4, And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed, every one of his vision, when he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. They're going to be ashamed in the end, when the truth is revealed, and you have the truth of Jesus before you, in the end, when we all stand before him, they're going to be ashamed. Our responsibility is to get the truth and live in the truth. That's our responsibility. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24. Did Jesus only stop here? Did he only stop here to give a warning? Matthew 24. Again, the idea of the doctrine of Christ, teachings, it is, again, it's not a I'm better or they're better. It's not a comparison by human standards. Because if it's a comparison to human standards, then we all fall short of God's perfection. But the standard is the truth. I want the truth to rightly divide, to rightly interpret the Bible. I don't, there's, there's two, there's a term, there's two terms. There's an exegesis, ex, like to pull out of, like uh, uh, you would extricate something, you would pull it out of, right, ex exegesis, you pull truth out of the scripture. Eisegesis is you pull stuff out of the scripture, but you already have a preconditioned filter with which you filter it, right? Oh, I want the Bible to say this. Oh, I looked in the Bible and I found it. You understand what I'm saying? So eisegesis and exegesis, but exegesis is good because you come to the Bible and say, let it speak to me. Eisegesis, I come to the Bible with a preconceived notion and I want to to prove what I already believe, whether it's biblical or not. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. <clears throat> so look at verse 5. For a few shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. What does he say? He doesn't say a few. He said, For many, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Look at another one. Verse 24. 
For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. He says, listen, they can do these wonders and deceive the very elect. He's talking about Christians. Christians can even be deceived. Our Lord, here in Matthew 24, I mean, he's soon to be crucified, leave the earth, He'll be resurrected and come back for 40 days, but <clears throat> nevertheless, as he's on his way out, he says, beware, 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 all throughout that ministry, beware. Look with me at Mark chapter 12. Now, if, as you look at the, the, the gospel accounts, understand that some of them are parallel accounts um, there are some of the stories in Matthew that are also contained in Mark. And that would be, and that's why they're called the synoptic gospels. They, some of the stories, they overlap. So the apostle Matthew would be writing some things that by the inspiration of God that he saw, and, and you know, Mark might see something else that he's writing by inspiration of God, and he gives some more information about that same scene. So the Synoptic Gospels. Well, in Mark chapter 12, verse 38, And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. They want to give them their title. They want their titles. They want the long clothing. I mean, they want to say, oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? But he says, beware. Matthew 13, verse 5. Jesus answering them began to say, take heed lest any man deceive you. Matthew, uh, Mark 13, 22. For false Christs, right? Kind of like we had Matthew and false prophets shall rise, shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. <clears throat> Uh, to seduce. Now, when you're fishing, you're seducing that fish. You're bringing that fish in to you want it to clamp down on that bait, on that hook with all it's got. So it is stuck. So I can reel it in and have some good fish fry. Amen? You're luring it. You're seducing it. How do you seduce it? With stuff it wants. Stuff that feels good, right? I'm not going to seduce the fish with something it absolutely hates. I'm not going to put, you know, a, a, a rock on there. I understand there's some lakes up here you can just put the hook down and they're biting it irrespective because there's so many fish in there. Oh man, that'd be wonderful to fish in one of those lakes. Never done that, but that would be cool one of these days. But... If you're seducing something, you're going to give what you want to seduce what it wants. Correct? You're going to give it what it wants to see, what it wants to eat, something that appeals to the senses. It feels good. Otherwise, you'll never allure it. It'll never be lured in. So he says seduce. Look with me at Romans chapter 16. 
and there's many other places, and even um, John the Baptist would even also discuss this. Why does Jesus make these statements? Can we assume, can we conclude, not assume, can we conclude that Jesus makes these warnings because the warnings are true? Could we agree to that? The warnings are true. There are dangers. There are problems. There are enemies. The enemy is not just, Satan didn't come to Eve and say, right off the bat, he didn't come and say, God's a liar, oh, you can eat whatever you want. He didn't say that. Did he? He comes with a very subtle question in a very humble fashion, as a snake. Very subtle, very humble appearance. Did God really say you can eat of all the trees? It's just a simple question. Jesus is, and and Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Why does he not come as a two-horned, red, dragon-looking thing? Why does he not come like that? Why does false doctrine not come as, you know, the ugliest, most heinous person you've ever seen? Why does it not come like that? Because it would be easy to go, oh, Black and white. It doesn't like black and white. It likes the gray. Because in that gray area, maybe, ah, it might not be that bad, right? You can't seduce what you already know is bad. Romans 16, verse 17 Jesus makes a statement. <clears throat> now I beseech you, brethren, he's talking to the church of Rome, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to what? The doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. So Jesus is very, and this is the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, but he says, the doctrine. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. These are individuals where people are not well grounded in the Bible. And they begin to talk about Jesus and talk about the things of this world. And you begin to say, wow. It's kind of like some of the crossover music, right? Like, Jesus, take the wheel, kind of that song, you know? And you're like, that's about the most spiritual you could get from it. Jesus, take the wheel, you know? I think it was a country song or something. I don't know. But people are like, oh, they're a Christian. They said Jesus, you know? And I'm not saying that they're not, but... That's the totality or that's the completeness of their doctrine and then their life. I mean, I'm not, I don't know that person's heart. But we can just because they say a word and you're like, oh, it, you have to look further. 
because these individuals, they said they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, what is their end game? It says, by good words and fair speeches. Someone who's a great orator, and they can speak. I mean, they have such an incredible ability to speak with, uh, you know, a, 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 such an ability to draw you in. I mean, it captures your attention. remember back years ago I was I was searching and I was I was there in university and I went to I think while I lived I was originally from the states I was I lived in Seattle for a while while I was in university and I went to probably 30 plus different churches and you know I I check a few things out but there were some of those pastors man they could speak I mean, they just had unbelievable abilities. One of them, in fact, received a full-ride scholarship to a university based upon speech. Ended up, there were some real problems in that man's life. He left the work, and the whole thing fell apart. It was built upon him. He told told the people, he said, if I ever leave, this thing will fall apart. Well, a church falls apart when a pastor leaves. There's no strength there. It's not built on Jesus. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going through a number of these because I want us to be convinced in our mind. I don't want you to just take my word for it. But over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible gives us warning about false prophets. It's not just a one-off. It's not just a scattered few passages. It is all throughout the New Testament because there is such a threat to listening to things that will pull you from a close relationship with God or pull you away from truth where you never accept Jesus Christ. You end up accepting a false Christ, a false concept of who God is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. They sound like a Christian. They talk like a Christian. They might even act while they're in the pulpit or whatever like a Christian. Remember when I said Matthew chapter 7, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in thy name. And they said, oh, different things are said there. You know them by their fruits. Because the end goal is that we ought to try to be holy. Holiness is, again, it's not a comparison where people are trying to be better than someone else. I'm not trying to be better than you, and you you shouldn't try to be better than me. I'm trying to be like Christ. That's my aim. That's my goal. And that ought to be your aim. 
But Satan comes in a very subtle way. Ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. I mean, all intents and purposes, they sound like the real deal. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. You know, one thing we have to conclude in all of these verses, and there's a number, there's a few more here that I have, but, and, I, and I'm, you might say, well, he's kind of belaboring the point, or just keep on and on and on. <laughs> God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. And he wants to do marvelous things with your life. And he doesn't want anyone to distract you from that. It is like a coach that gives their performance athlete, an Olympian, a very regimented diet because they know the end goal is to get that prize. The gold medal, that's their desire. You and I are endeavoring to get to the end and hear the golden prize of well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's our desire. A father who says, I want to set, if you want to think about it, set you up for success in your Christian life. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 4, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. False brethren, unawares. You don't even realize they're false. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Look with me at another one. Understand it's... I find this idea of just, I'm settled in what the Bible says. Because it's easy that we can be very subtly distracted, deceived. And we might say, you know, there, and, and in my past, there's certain things I've believed, you know, and, you know, as I looked at the scriptures, I said, that's not it. And, and God gave me a firm confirmation on that. I mean, there for a while there, I had some, that, that, the doctrine of Calvinism. And I was never hard on that, but I was like, it doesn't make sense, but I can see how it. And so I, I was under that direction. And you know what my view of God was? Well, the Christian life is miserable. The Christian life is hard. I guess you just need to hold on long enough and maybe, maybe when I get to heaven, it's a whole lot better than it is here. I mean, I'd go to church. I mean, I felt dead. I'm like, well, I guess I'm supposed to read my Bible because that's what the Christian thing is to do. I guess I'm supposed to read or pray because that's what Christians do. And I just felt empty inside.
because the doctrine that I was following was of a man's theology. It wasn't of the Lord. They redefined scriptural language. And Satan came in very subtly. And it, man, it just discouraged me. I knew I was saved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Tossed to and fro. I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. And you're just like, oh, here's a new fad. Boom. Right? I believe this. Oh, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. I'll go here. Oh, that doesn't, oh, you know, and you're just like going back and forth and back and forth. And you're just like, I don't feel settled. I don't have peace. I don't have rest. I don't, I mean, I don't have, where's that close relationship with God? I'm, I'm following all these different emotions and it's just like, oh, it feels good, but I don't understand. Inwardly, I, I feel like I'm unsettled. It's not of God. In Ephesians 5, 6. As I had mentioned earlier, the hearts of the simple, these are individuals that are not studied in God's Word. And in very many places around this world, these various people come in to those who have very little knowledge of Scripture. And they preach about the Bible. They don't give a lot of Bible. And they begin, or various things, and uh, the, in the simplicity of where you're at, you're like, wow, I never saw that before. And then we begin to get sucked in. And we get away from the direction God wanted for our lives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Wrong doctrine makes you a child of disobedience in your rebellion. Whether you're willful or, or just you don't know. But wrong doctrine will bring God's wrath. Because it pulls you away from truth into the very things that will put you in a place of rebellion. And I'm not saying we're like, oh, I want to be a, you know, I'm jumping into rebellion. No, I'm not saying that. But it puts us in a position where we're out of God's will. Colossians 2.8 talks about spoiling you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. 1 Timothy 4.1, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, talks about lovers of selves, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. So because you don't have the power of God, because it's not right doctrine, you have to substitute in a different way to somehow get that emotional euphoric feeling in order to simulate what only God can give. 
I hope that makes sense. So what they're doing, because they don't have God's power, they don't have God's hand, they're trying to simulate and they try to, to, to mimic the power and, and what God has with their own conjured up ability through music and other things to get your euphoric feeling up. This must be of God because it feels so good. Now, I'm not, it, that can happen, and it does many times. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time, I'll give you a second to get there. I'll end here. I still have a, a few more, but. What God has said is, and God's desire for your life and mine is desire truth. To desire all that God has for our lives. And we just say, I've got to look at God's word and study it and study it and study it and pray. And, you know, just, and, and God gives, puts, I, I remember as I moved from Seattle, I went to New York, I went to the military, and I began listening to preaching. It was on holiness. And I remember as I would hear this preaching, I was like, oh man, there's sin in this area of life. I never knew that. Oh man, there's sin in this area of my life. And you know what? God just began to break me. And as God began to break these particular habits in my life, I began to get closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Man, I just desired truth. I was hungry for it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know what? I don't want you to tell me. You know, and that itching ears there is where pastors are telling people things that make them feel good. Be your best self. Be the best that all you can be. Well, yes, but the best you can be is what God's will is for your life. Or here's how you can make lots of money and, and pray this prayer and God will make you wealthy. Well, okay. That may not be God's will for you to be wealthy. He, it could be, but it doesn't. There's no quick means. God, He knows who can handle money and who can't. Every person's different. You just need to be whom God made you to be. This itching ears, it, it appeals to the senses, it appeals to our emotions, and it, it feels really good. We have to test it by Scripture. Everything I'm saying, you have to test by, what does the Bible say? Everything I'm saying. It's your responsibility. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. About being Berean. Because if I, God's told us, he's given us a love letter of how to know him. How to walk with him. How to have that close relationship. You are that important that God, and there's still a number of other passages I could give. It talks about great swelling words of vanity, uh, brought into bondage, certain men crept in unawares. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 13 also talks about this. But Satan doesn't sleep. You and I need sleep, but he doesn't sleep. 
The danger is always there. And if you're a Christian this evening, we all need to be concerned about the right teachings of God's Word. We need to study God's Word. Be students of God's Word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Because the danger is real. The danger can affect my wife and my daughter. It can affect me. I'm constantly, you know, Lord, please help me. And, and you and all, we all need to be this way. We especially need to be concerned in our own church. This, the gospel, if the gospel ever changes at all, then I give misinformation that leads to a wrong destination. Salvation and a relationship with God is so important. Your eternity rests on it. The question tonight I ask you is, who is your father? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Or the Bible, you know, Jesus would say for the Pharisees, it was Satan. As you see this cross, and we understand the horrific beating he endured, all the words that he would say, Jesus was the hardest on the religious people of those days, because false religion will never get you to the cross. This evening, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is not being a good person. It's not being a better yourself. It's not trying hard enough. It's not being baptized as an infant. It's not taking mass. It's not giving to a church. It's not, it's not any of that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our God is concerned that you receive the gift. And that gift is Jesus by faith alone. Christian, this ought to fire us up, get us excited. But you know what? It tells us in 2 Timothy 3.15, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Churches that have the Bible, that preach the Bible, Truth is protected by local churches all over this world that teach and preach God's word. To get it to the masses, the Bible was preserved through churches through the centuries. Ordinary, everyday men and women, and that is every one of you that are a Christian today, we have a responsibility to get truth to the next generation. It's that important with heads bowed and eyes closed for the time of invitation this evening. I hope. I don't mean to discourage anyone. I'm not. I just. If our Lord is so concerned on this, I'll talk next time on the danger and all that will come and false doctrine, but Jesus was so concerned. If Jesus is concerned about it, you and I ought to be concerned about it. False doctrine is not a position of pride or being better. It's a position I just want to stand on the right side. And I trust, Christian, you'll just say, God, help me to learn truth and to live in light of it. Because I love you.
You know what? God loves you even if you don't know Christ. He died for you. He loves you more than anyone else ever does. You can't be good enough. You're not measuring your goodness before God on your own merits. You're measuring it on Jesus who's perfect and all. We are, none of us are perfect. He simply wants you to bow your head and ask him to forgive you of your sins and be your savior. When you're done praying this evening, look up and I'll conclude us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord, thank you for just the privilege from your word. And Lord, the danger is real. There is a real danger, Father. There is real. There are many, it says many, many false prophets, many that will seduce. And Lord, you know the desire of my heart. I just want to be, I just want to do what you've called me to do. Father, it is easy for us to be deceived. Father, we can get off track, and Lord, all of us, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be students of your word, studying it, knowing it. Lord, it's not a Sunday activity. It is something that, Lord, as I study your word, I just get to spend time with you, and Lord, what a blessing that is. I get to hear from the God of all gods. Father, help us to study the word of God to not be deceived, and to live in light of what you've called us to do, to give out the gospel to see souls saved. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you, and uh, we'll see you on uh, Wednesday night. All right.